Welcome to episode three of the Inception Family Wealth Hour podcast. In this podcast, we'll be asking estate planning and business succession questions of some of North America's top thought leaders, authors, lawyers, family office leaders, business owners and entrepreneurs, tax advisors, investment professionals, insurance specialists, and family business consultants. Every episode, we will contemplate a specific question you might have about estate planning and or business succession. Our guests will discuss their perspectives on the question of the week and offer their unique wisdom and insights on how to address the situation. The organizing question this week is, what if I need a will, but I have a simple estate? Today's special guest is Aaron Burry. Aaron is the CEO of Willful, a new company providing online access to estate planning documents, including wills and powers of attorney. Aaron will be discussing what moved her to join Willful as CEO, why Canadians don't talk about death and death planning, when you should consider doing a will or amending and updating your will, dealing with special assets, including our pets, creating inventories, the consequences of not having a will, and a great deal more. Uh, welcome to the Inception Family Wealth Hour podcast. It is a great honor to have you here. Thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Well, it, you've been very, uh, uh, very accessible with scheduling, and I appreciate that a, a great deal myself. I'm, I'm very excited about the uh, offering that you have. I, I have to admit, we've been connected for a while on LinkedIn, and I've been watching what you've been posting on LinkedIn, and and I, I like to interview people and introduce people to our listeners who are thought leaders, innovators, people who are taking things in different directions. And Willful, it seemed to me, was a service offering that was taking Canadians who need to do some planning into what might be a bit of a different space for them. And I wonder if you could just take a moment and tell us, uh, as a non-lawyer in particular, which is a very interesting feature, how you ended up being the CEO of Willful? Yes, great question, Chris. I certainly never thought when I was attending journalism school in the early 2000s that I would ever be running an estate planning company. It probably would have been the furthest thing from my future plans. Uh, but it, you know, it really was my my husband and my co-founder Kevin who uh, really brought us down this path. It was a few years ago, and his uncle passed away uh, unexpectedly. And while he actually did have a will, he had never discussed all of the other things outside of that. So his family was really struggling with, you know, burial wishes and funeral wishes, and. Um, you know, it kind of occurred to Kevin at the time we were in our early 30s and we were avid users of tools like Wealthsimple that had really sought to take complex things like investing or taxes and to make them more accessible, affordable, and just beautiful and easy to use. And he kind of said, you know, why doesn't something like this exist for uh, not just creating legal documents, but also Uh, recording wishes and helping to prepare your family for this inevitability. Uh, so did a bit of research into the space and realized that there, there you know, wasn't a ton in, in Canada. And so he sought to, uh, to launch something in that space. And when he initially told me this idea, I said, could you please pick a, a sexier business idea? This is, you know, estate planning. Like, really? That's what you're going to commit your life to? Um, but he was really passionate about it and uh, especially having that personal experience. And so he actually went down the path of launching it uh, while I was still running uh, another company, a marketing and uh, agency that I used to run. 
And, uh, and so I kind of, you know, invested in, in the company and helped from the sidelines and my agency helped with some of the initial work. And honestly, it was through just being exposed to that journey and learning about, you know, how many Canadians don't have the legal documents, how many Canadians avoid talking about these things, how much of a pain in the butt it is when you have a relative who passes away without plans in place, never mind the pain in the butt it is to wrap up any estate, even if there is a will. Uh, and I just kind of got a, I, it was exposure to it that just made me really passionate about it because I realized, you know, this is a big problem. And as a marketer and as someone who, I, you know, is an expert communicator, I think my role can be making this more approachable and communicating it in a way that isn't scary and that encourages people like me who, you know, may not have gravitated toward this previously to, to prioritize it and to make it something that their family uh, does. So that was really the, the impetus for me to get involved. And I, I think, you know, he slow, Kevin slowly wore me down over time. And so about a year ago, I, uh, after him re- repeatedly asking me for many years, decided to join the company full time and, and kind of make this a bit of a family business. And, uh, and yeah, we've been uh, trucking ever since on it. Well, it's interesting that you should say, uh, mention Wealthsimple. Um, I do a, a number of the interviews that I do are either in the estate planning space, which I would agree with you. It's it's kind of like the, the dentistry of the legal profession. I mean, nobody likes to go do it, but everybody has to deal with it <laughs> at some point in time. Not to pick on dentists, just the concept of having... No, but it's a great description. Right. It's something we have to do. And, and, um, uh, but you mentioned Wealthsimple. And for those that are listening that don't necessarily know what that is, that's, that is uh, artificial intelligence using algorithmic uh, investing profiles based on a series of questions that are answered in advance by, by uh, a holder of a Wealthsimple account. Being able to have their investments chosen really by computers. And as a result, pulling out a lot of the biases, a lot of the fears, a lot of the, 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 the poor ways that we are influenced uh, in our decision making uh, based on your goals and based uh, as you've, as you've uh, stipulated them in, in an intake document. And I think that's really an interesting feature. Is there something about, and I don't know if you're a millennial and you don't have to say whether you are or not, but, but um, are you, are you thinking that this is a product whose time has come because people are now prepared to use algorithmic investment profi- uh, uh, platforms such as Wealthsimple. Um, are they ready for digital wills and using a service like your own, which maybe you could just uh, describe in a little bit more detail so people understand that as well? Yeah, for sure. So I, I am a millennial, Chris. I am an older millennial. So I am actually, by the time you listen to this podcast, I will have turned 35. And my husband and co-founder, Kevin, is 36. So, um, you know, we find obviously in our own lives that we are digital natives and that we're actually more likely to use a tool if it's digital first and very easy to access and if I don't have to make an appointment with a human. (laughs) Uh, But not everyone is like that. So, uh, you know, we try to make it easy whether you're a a technophile or whether you're not. 
Uh, and of course, we do have a lot of older users as well who are approaching or well into retirement. So you can't just build the tool for millennials. You have to keep different demographics in mind, especially when you're dealing with estate planning. But on Willful, we, you know, the easiest description is the TurboTax for estate planning. So just like, you know, if you have a very simple financial situation, TurboTax is an affordable, accessible, easy way to get your taxes done. Uh, that's what we are to estate planning. So if you have a simple situation, uh, Willful guides you through a series of questions. Uh, we work with estate lawyers in each of our provinces to actually draft the legal content on the back end. And we take your answers and then build them into customized documents that you can then print and sign to make legally valid. Uh, so we've kind of taken the approach of catering to a large percentage of Canadians who do have simple situations and who may outgrow us at some point, just like I outgrew TurboTax a few years ago and now have an accountant, uh, but who use Willful as a starting point to really start to think about their wishes and get them down on paper. It was really interesting. You said that there were, although your family member who sadly passed away and the processing of that estate, the experiencing of that estate actually was the impetus for the creation of what you're doing now. Uh, got your husband going on that and, and, and you saw the opportunity. Um, I'm always interested in understanding, not specifically, but what was that experience? You know, was it, when you say frustration, what were some things that you were encountering that you wish had been done differently? And I assume you're now responding to with your service. Well, it's interesting, Chris, because we're actually not responding to that today. I mean, we're solving one the tip of the iceberg in estate planning, which is getting the core legal documents in place, your, your will, your power of attorney documents. What we experienced with our own family and what I think we don't solve for today and hope to in future is all of the stuff outside of your will. You know, the the conversation about whether you need to want to be buried or cremated and what type of ceremony you want. I mean, Kevin's uncle had been married for over 40 years and never broached this subject with his family, which just speaks to, you know, even if you're so comfortable with people, you still avoid talking about these things. Uh, not to mention just the the nuts and bolts of the finances, you know, uh, where do we find life insurance policies and, um, you know, I need to track down this paperwork and I have no idea where this file folder is. And, you know, in this wasn't really the case with Kevin's uncle, but I always think about for myself, my digital footprint. Uh, I have cryptocurrency and I have a very avid social presence and all of my investments and accounts are online with digital insurance providers like Sonnet. So, um, you know, that's really what I think we sought out to tackle was not just the the legal side of it, but also just the kind of life repository and whether it's all at once or whether it's slowly getting people to record this over time, almost building up this Dropbox for death, if you will, that holds all of those policies and breadcrumbs for your executor and family, and that empowers them to not only know what you would want for things like your funeral, but also just gives them access to the passwords and accounts and preferences that will help them to do their job if they're if they are your executor. So um, we actually 
started Willful as, or Kevin started Willful as a company called Final Blueprint, uh, which tackled all of that. It allowed you to record messages to loved ones and say what you want to done with your social media profiles and record who you had life insurance with. And uh, unfortunately, he discovered what you already know, which is that people will do anything they can to avoid thinking about this stuff. And so uh, it launched to crickets. I think actually, you know, his mom and I might be the only customers of that initial iteration. But the key learning that came out of that was, you know, that wills really were the entry point, that wills are the painkiller, they're the must have, and that we had kind of built this vitamin, this nice to have after you've taken care of that. So we've really adjusted to take the approach of if we can get people to think about estate planning by creating this must have, the will, then we can open them up to all of these other things that will help them slowly over time accumulate and plan for and discuss all of the things that their family might need. And so that's kind of our future plan is how do you go beyond the will to tackle all of the other components of estate planning that can be really difficult for your family? That's really interesting because, um, you know, the whole, uh, and, and, and this has been my experience too, the whole process of estate planning, we often think of, of it, we being those of us that have been lawyers or are lawyers and, or practice in the estate planning field is you start with what your goals are and then you move forward until you're ready to to begin to craft documents that reflect those goals and then those become hopefully sufficiently robust that they become living documents for the future but what your your husband's experience was and how your business has responded was that you you found people weren't interested in that first part they wanted the must-have document, and what you're going to do, if I'm, if I heard you right, is you're going to get them in the door there, then begin to offer them additional services, access to additional tools to expand their conversations down the road, to backfill that, uh, uh, backfill some of that, uh, those conversations. Is that? Did I understand that right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, listen, I wish that it was as easy as, you know, hey, you should be storing all this information for your family and your executor and you should store it whether or not you have a will. But uh, but in our experience, I mean, it's it's difficult enough to get people to to create a will, even when everyone logically knows that they need one. Um, you know, as long as they have assets and dependents and the spouse and things like that. Um, so, yes, that's the approach that we're taking is you know, if you think about your taxes or you think about your finances, whether you work with a financial advisor or whether you just do your own thing, probably at least once a year, you're sitting down to well, definitely file your taxes, but maybe also, you know, assess your investments and to make sure that you have the right amount of insurance. And typically your estate plan is this static thing, right? You create your will, maybe you store a couple documents and you put them in a drawer and you forget about them. And our ultimate mission with the company is to make your estate plan this living, breathing thing that like your taxes, you sit down to do and evaluate every single year to evaluate it, to review it, to update it, to add to it. Uh, And that's a behavior that I really don't think is common today. You know, we really treat estate planning as set it and forget it when in actuality, as your life changes and you accumulate more, you know, accounts and digital passwords and things like that, it should be adjusting along with your life. And I I agree with you 100%. I think it is very much uh, uh, event driven 
and uh, it shouldn't be event driven. It should be a process. I think annually is a really good idea. Uh, I mean, I, I have my car checked every year when I take the snow tires off. Uh, why would I not do that with, with my, with my estate plan? Your, um, your software, when people are, are experiencing this service, I guess it's a product and a service the way you're describing it. Um, when they're experiencing this, does it, how does it tweak them that way? What kinds of, does it, does it have them think about things that might've happened in the intervening year that might give occasion to review their will? So right now, um, you know, because we're a one-time purchase product, we do allow you to make updates to the will in future. But I, I would say we probably haven't done a great job of engendering that or incentivizing that annual review. Uh, and that's something that we're working to build in through, you know, whether that's an annual subscription that might have premium features or just an annual reminder to review that plan. Um, and to your point, to identify when you would even update your will or when you would want to, to change those details, that's definitely something that we, we need to work on a bit more. Uh, but to your point, you know, for us, the platform kind of guides you through understanding what is your life situation right now? Do you have kids? Do you have pets? If you have pets, have you even thought about who might take care of them? Because, you know, my mom has two horses and it's not just as simple as, uh, as hey, can you take on these two pets? There's, they're expensive. You have to board them. So I think what we do today is to try to understand what someone's life situation is and either to direct them to a lawyer if it's too complex for our, our platform platform or to guide them down a path that helps them to consider some of the things they might not have thought about, like charitable donations or, uh, you know, pet guardians or things like that. And in future, it would be, you know, essentially giving them a checklist, just like you get when you do your taxes. What has changed in the past year? Have you bought a home? Have you started a business? Have you gotten married? Those are all things that might affect your tax return. Well, the same is true with estate planning. Did you get married? Did you get divorced? Did you move to a new province? Did you have a child that you might need to add into your will? Like there are all of these life moments that do precipitate changing or updating or expanding your estate plan. And, uh, you know, even people in my network who hear me talk about the importance of this all the time will say to me, oh, yeah, you know, I've really been meaning around to, to getting around to update my will. It's been sitting in a filing cabinet for 15 years, and I know it's out of date. So um, I think what we're trying to do is to change that nagging feeling that most people have uh, into action, which is difficult. And I, I know you do the same thing through your work as well. Well, and I think you've hit on it, Ch changing that nagging feeling uh, to action. I mean, there is, I often, and, and many of the people that I interview and, and in the writing that I've done, I think we all agree that it is a responsibility. It, it's, it's not just something you should do, but you actually have a responsibility to do a will. Uh, if you've got anyone that depends on you or might be affected by your demise, it's a responsibility. And, and what you're helping people do is fulfill their responsibilities. And then they can go backwards. And, and once they've got that monkey off their back, they can begin to really think about how do I, how do I purposefully fill out this responsibility? And, 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 and so I'm, I'm excited by the fact that you are, 
by breaking through the ice and getting people to actually do the initial document, you know, get through that threshold, they can actually now start to talk meaningfully about what's really important. And, and, and maybe that means they, they have to change uh, uh, the will as they, as they move forward into the future. Maybe, maybe it changes more times than they become quite good at it. But you are, you're getting through that, uh, that initial um, fear, uh, I think, of, of you know, what's the best way to put this? I actually met a client many years ago who at the end of the meeting, she, she was very reluctant to, to, to do a will. She didn't have a will. And she was very reluctant, Aaron, to do one. And, and at the end, it was pretty clear the reason was she felt that by doing a will, she was accelerating her own demise. And I think once people have used your product, they, they will realize a year out that, you know, you didn't kill them. <laughs> the will didn't kill them. They're living. It is so common though, Chris. Oh my goodness. I can't believe, I can't tell you the number of times that I've spoken to people, even just friends and, and family who say, you know, it's just, I don't want to think about it because it somehow feels like I'm inviting it into my life or like I'm hastening it or, uh, which is silly. Obviously they know logically, but I think that it just speaks to this larger taboo in society that we just don't talk about death. And I think specifically in North American culture, that's the way we operate. We pretend it doesn't exist. It's always this elephant in the room. And in other cultures, they embrace it more and talk about it more. And it's a much more ingrained part of their their lives. But um, that, you know, even with Kevin and I, we've probably had so many more conversations than the average 35-year-old married couple about what we want our services to be like and what we would want for them in future and our plans. I mean, we even sat the other night uh, and there's a tool called One Password, which allows you to store all of your passwords and have one master password that you can give you know someone else access to. And I, we spent an hour and a half going in and adding all of our personal passwords because it was something that was nagging in my mind, knowing if I were to pass away tomorrow, yes, I have a will and yes, I've, I've put some details down for Kevin, but how would he actually even remember my laptop password to get access to it? Not to mention my emails and all of the banking accounts that I have. Um, so yeah, it's a it really was this peace of mind that was lifted off my shoulders. But I always thought, think to myself when I do something like that, I'm probably the most incentivized to do that as someone who's running an estate planning company and who has to be an example to other people on how to get your stuff organized. The average person is not sitting around on a Tuesday night in the middle of May uh, organizing their passwords in case they pass away um, because of the stigma associated with it. And also just because, again, I think there's there's two things that make people put it off. Number one, it's uncomfortable to think about. Number two, they assume that their deadline is decades away, right? And they assume that if I'm 35, well, I can get to that later. But as we know from COVID, I mean, the unexpected can happen anytime. And I think um, I always try to remember that you can't put it off till tomorrow because tomorrow isn't always guaranteed. And that doesn't have to be a depressing thought because it actually inspires action. Well, and, and you described something really interesting there. Uh, um, I, I, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that you aren't, there are at least two of us on this broadcast right now who do sit around and do those kinds of things on a Tuesday <laughs> night. So, you know, and, and I'm wondering if, uh, I mean, I think estate planning has changed. I, I have thought it has changed in the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, you know, I don't want to sound like a dad i i'm old enough to remember when but but i think people have 
if not more complex lives, they have more, there is more wealth today, even in relatively straightforward situations. But there's also things that we can pass along, things that we might like to have transitioned in a private and orderly way that our parents didn't have, and our grandparents most certainly didn't have. And so I'm wondering, you know, if you, th as, as a mindset, because I work with a lot of family business owners as well, are, are millennials going to drive this kind of new interface for the, for what is really an age old, uh, an age old planning need for people? I, th I think so. I think in, in a couple of ways, right? I mean, um, in, in the first way, I think they're going to demand change in the way that estate planning is done, right? I mean, it's not going to be acceptable in 10 years that we have to print off our will and not only kill trees, but, um, you know, store it offline where it's often forgotten about, dusty away in some filing cabinet that the family can't access. I think millennials will demand uh, you know, leveraging technology tools to make things easier instead of just doing things the way that we've always done them. Um, and secondarily, I think that the millennial generation is more op open to talking about death and more open to talking about legacy. And you see that through a lot of the online communities that exist. I mean, I'm part of a Slack group called Death & Co., which is just a bunch of millennial business owners who are involved with the, the estate planning or funeral space in some way that are talking about all of these things. And there are events that have popped up around the country, like death dinners that are bringing millennials together to talk about their own legacy. So I definitely see uh, that the younger generations are more open to talking about this stuff. And I do think because of the, the way that technology will change the access to these things, it, it, we actually will be more likely in future to, to make these plans and to have these conversations. But I don't know. I mean, you obviously are teaching this. You're working with millennials all the time. So I'd love your take on on whether my take is uh, correct or, or well, at least if you've seen it reflected. No, I think you're 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 right on point. And I think that there is a uh, uh, and I think you may have highlighted this earlier you know, there were certain topics that you never spoke of in polite company, you know, religion, politics, income, and, and your net worth. And, and uh, that would certainly have been my parents' generation. Very, I'm very much a product of that as well. I'm a little, I'm, I'm at the very tail end of what would be defined as a boomer. But the students that I teach, and my own children are, uh, I mean, obviously, they're influenced a bit by their parents, but but they're very much like you. They are digital natives. They have a sense of uh, immediacy to the things that they want to have happen. And frankly, when they ask the questions sometimes about why this can't be done this way, I don't have good answers for it because the answer really is, as you just noted, well, we've always done it this way. <laughs> and I don't think that's going to be good enough anymore. So I, I tend to be in, in your, uh, your, your mindset there. Uh, and I think that's okay. I mean, one of the, this, this COVID outbreak pandemic has been obviously absolutely horrible and devastating for, for many people. And, and far too many people have lost their lives far too soon, but there have been, modifications to the way i mean people still have to do their wills people still have to do these things and and uh the the legal community has has been able to adapt and make that happen using uh, uh 
different video, audio, uh, audio, uh, visual uh, recording, and and so and, and we talked about this. I think that the horse is out of the barn on this now, and um, the change that was slow in coming is here now, and I think it's just going to keep moving more quickly. And your your service is going to be, I think. Uh, you know, even just 10 years ago, you would have been too early, but now you're probably coming out at just the perfect time for all of those reasons. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, not only will I think people, uh, you know, not just accept the status quo, but I think COVID has really made people evaluate across all industries, why we have offline processes, whether that's you having to submit a physical expense report in the office, or you having to sign a paper copy of your tax return, all the way to why do I have to sign my will on paper and why can't I store it online? So to your point, there's a lot of negatives that have come out of COVID, but one of the positives I think has been just a recognition that we have the tools available at our disposal to you know, securely and you know, verify identity, digitally sign documents, digitally store documents in a way that uh, can also verify identity, uh, verify whether there is undue influence, which is one of the biggest concerns around signing things like wills and power of attorney documents. And I have no doubt that we will see a ton of legal change, not just in the estate planning industry, but across all industries to accommodate for digital processes. And, And again, to your point, it's not just going to be millennials that demand this. I mean, I have conversations with customers every day who say, I don't understand. Why do I have to? So I don't send the will back to you. So wait, I can't store it online. And my answer always has to be, yeah, unfortunately, it's out of our hands. Um, you know, as soon as we're allowed to do those things, we will. But uh, they often are confused about why there has to be this offline component as well. And even just during COVID, we saw uh, the limitations in terms of just the printing. I mean, how many of us actually have a printer at home? Uh, we had we actually started offering free printing and shipping, and we'd never done that before. But we had so many customers reaching out saying, "I have no way to get this printed, and I'm not going to Staples because Staples is closed, and I'm not going to a friend's house because I, I'm." quarantining. So uh, even just the simple idea of printing a document means something very different in 2020 than it did in 2010. Well, and and uh, you can do the better part of a real estate purchase now in most jurisdictions in Canada anyways, online. uh, And and that is... that is acceptable. A lot of people are investing in, in blockchain technology and, and it's probably safer in many ways. Uh, now, whether investing in that company is a good investment is another thing altogether, but, but the technology is there now to make it virtually impenetrable. Uh, uh, so, I, I mean, I think you're right. I, I think that technology is catching up. And I think almost as important well technology is going to lead the way it's not catching up it's going to lead the way and pull pull everybody along but i think it's a mindset about millennials too i think that millennials and and generations subsequent to to millennials i think they have an expect they have these expectations but i also think they have a willing mind uh mindset i should say to have these conversations uh there a tremendous amount of wealth was created by uh, by boomers, and there's trillions moving from one generation to the next over the next 15 years. I think that uh, uh, your generation and, and those that are younger than you, they are aware of that. They are not 
not they're curious about it they don't feel guilty about it and they want to be purposeful with it and i think a product like your own is going you know estate planning becomes part of a purposely lived life and and you you are taking agency uh, and control over the things that you can take agency and control over so i think there's a generational shift that your your service is actually reflecting well, and I think you're also going to see a lot of that demand come out of people's experiences with their own parents. I mean, to your point, we're all sitting at a point where our boomer page, my boomer parents are aging and a lot of other people's are. And I don't think a lot of those parents have adequately planned for their own estates and have even put the fundamental documents in place in, in many cases. And you know, it's going to be a mess for us to clean up if our parents don't have wills or if we haven't had the, the right conversation. So it's not just that I think millennials are more willing to plan for their own passing and, and willing to uh, get these things done. I think they're demanding that their parents have these conversations with them because they know as the future executors of those estates, they don't want to be left with a mess to clean up. And we have people every day coming to us saying, I need to make a will for my parents and I have to break, break it gently to them that fortunately you can't create a will for them. You can lead a horse to water, but you have to make it drink itself. And that tends to be the disconnect is, uh, you know, a lot of times it's the millennials who are kind of leading the charge in their families on whether it's their siblings or their parents getting those things in order, uh, but they can't force people to to go through with that. So it's really up to the individual on whether they're going to take action. And unfortunately, not everyone does. I'm sure in your, uh, your, business research as you you and your husband started thinking about whether this was a a business model that that would work for you 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 did some research and and uh, you probably encountered in that research some general themes about why people won't do these documents what is it why i mean so among the willful documents that that and, and we'll get into this that clients can uh, or customers can purchase their powers of attorney for property and personal care here in ontario for example and and wills for couples at any generation why do you suppose people don't have these documents i think uh, the first the first reason is ignorance and not ignorance out of a bad place but just frankly not knowing that these documents are even a thing. I'll be honest. I mean, I'm, I don't have an estate planning background. Um, you know, I was working in technology and marketing. And until Kevin came to me and, you know, said, I, I want to start a business in this space, I'm not sure I had ever spent more than two minutes of my life thinking about estate planning or wills. Not because I, I, I was an irresponsible person, but just because a, we don't talk about it and B, you don't know what you don't know. So I think the first thing is many people don't even know the difference between a will and a power of attorney or what purpose they serve uh, or what's involved with making one. And so it just doesn't even enter into their mind. Um, the other reason, obviously, are the things that we've already talked about, things like it being uncomfortable to think about. Uh, and I think it is very cost prohibitive, right? So there is this you know, whether it's true or not, uh, there is this conception that or belief that getting a will done is really, really expensive. And so even if you are thinking about doing it, if you're, you know, in your early 30s or your late 20s and getting your first will, uh, you're probably thinking that that's not something that you could afford. Uh, So I think cost can be prohibitive. Uh, Not even knowing the difference between the documents or what they are stops people. 
And then just the convenience factor, right? I mean, typically, uh, you know, making appointments with lawyers can be um, cumbersome, especially if you're, let's say, a new parent uh, who can't really get out of the house and, uh, you know, is living in sweatpants and doing things at three in the morning between feedings. So I think those are some of the reasons. But uh, but good old fashioned not wanting to think about death is is always at the core of it. Uh, and I think you've hit the, you know, I hadn't really, certainly the last two things you mentioned there, just general discomfort thinking about the topic. Uh, uh, I, I, I do a lot of seminars and I always, when I'm speaking to an audience, ask, what do you think of when you think of estate planning? And, and um, it's, it's almost always tied to wealth and money and avoiding taxes. And I think people quickly forget that there are beneficiaries and that almost everybody has loved ones, that whether they have wealth or whether they have real estate, they, they have loved ones uh, that they can take care of with their will or at least provide for. Um, so there's there's that concept. I think cost is definitely, uh, that's been my experience as, as well. I would certainly echo that. Um, one of the interesting things about your, and, 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 I, and I teach in this space, the students often believe that uh, powers of attorney, if they're even aware of it, um, uh, they often believe that this is a document that has to be done with a lawyer. And that's not true. Right. Correct. I mean, I spend a disproportionate amount of my day clarifying, you know, the misconception that you have to have these documents created by a lawyer. Now, I'm always first to say our mission at Willful is to ensure that people get these documents done. We absolutely believe that we work in concert with the legal profession and with lawyers, and we refer people to lawyers every day, multiple times a day, because their situation is just a bit more complex than we can handle. And they should be, or they just want legal advice. They want to sit with someone who can give them advice that's tailored to their situation. So um, I should preface it by saying that because, you know, ultimately there are a lot of situations where doing it with a lawyer is going to be the right fit for you. But I spend a lot of time educating people about what makes a will legal and the various ways that you can make a will or a power of attorney document. And I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that, you know, it doesn't actually require a lawyer to draft them. It's all about, you know, who creates it, the mindset that you're in, uh, and how these documents are actually signed and witnessed properly. And that's what makes them legally valid. So um, I do think that's one thing that stops people from going down the path of getting these documents done is that they hear the word lawyer and it either scares them because, you know, legalese can be scary uh, or it makes them think, well, I can't afford that. And when they find out, you mean I can actually create a holograph will by taking a pen and a piece of paper and just writing it down and signing it myself for free, and that's legally valid? I mean, people are just kind of blown away about uh, what the laws actually are. And that's why people like you and I, I think a lot of our job is just education and building awareness around how you can make these documents, why you would make them, the methods you can use, and really delivering the various options. And then if the option they choose to, to go with is us, great. And if it's not, that's great too, because at least they're getting it done. So let's say a couple with fairly typical assets, you know, uh, 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 well, let's a couple in, in your your uh, uh, demographic cohort. So maybe not quite, you own your own businesses and you have slightly more complex, but let's say you had a, you know, a, a, a husband who's a teacher and uh, he's married and, and she works for the 
some level of government and they've got uh, two children, you know, stable jobs, uh, responsible situation, you know, they're responsible uh, uh, in their planning and they want to do wills with, with your product. What they come to your website, which is willful.co and what will they experience? What will it feel like for them, Erin? Yeah, well, I think the first thing to note, Chris, is that, you know, there are really two reasons that people are coming to our website. Either they've gone through a life moment or they've, you know, just decided that this is the time to check it off their list. And they're coming more so out of a desire to to complete something, to give them peace of mind and to check something off the to-do list. The other reason that they might be coming to our website is because of fear and anxiety. Uh, you know, whether that's related to coronavirus or a celebrity passing away suddenly and reminding us all of our own mortality, or maybe even attending the funeral uh, or celebration of life of a loved one. Uh, And I think very much what we try to communicate is that we do not market around fear and anxiety. We know that's why some people are getting these documents done. But uh, for us, the key is making it as approachable as possible, making sure the messaging is all about owning your legacy and peace of mind for your family. Uh, and really focusing on the more positive sides of getting an estate plan in place. So hopefully when you arrive on the site, that comes through and you don't feel overwhelmed or scared or anxious after you actually see the messaging on our site. Um, And then, you know, again, our job is to really understand a bit more about your life situation and to tell you about the times where you might want to visit a lawyer. So we ask you a few simple questions to make sure you're baseline the right fit. If you're, you know, not over the age of majority or you're in one of the provinces or that we don't operate in or in another country, um, we're going to tell you right off the bat, okay, this is not the right fit for you. And then we're going to understand your marital status and how many kids you have and things like that. Um, And before we even let you sign up for an account, we give you a warning page that essentially says, these are some of the situations that might add complexity and that should, you know, lead you to consider whether you'd like to visit a lawyer. Uh, Some of those situations would negate you from being able to use Willful because we simply don't offer that functionality. So right now, things like uh, adding a corporate executor or creating uh, a trust that would be outside of a simple testamentary trust or... Um, you know, uh, having a business that you want very specific uh, requirements for or wishes for. Those are all things that you just can't do on Willful. And then there are situations where we say, you can use Willful, but you should use it at your own discretion. And you should understand that visiting a lawyer would likely be a better fit for you. So, you know, you have a blended family with lots of wishes around how assets flow through to children, or, uh, you know, you have assets outside of Canada, and you might want to have a secondary will that deals with those assets. I mean, those are all things that either we can't do or that add complexity. So we try to do that work up front just to tell you, you know, make sure that you're informed, make sure that you're, um, you know, getting advice from a lawyer if you want that. And if if you're confident that right now Willful is a good fit for you, then okay, let's create an account and we'll guide you down the process. Um, And really the approach we try to take is just education at every step of the way. So whether we're asking you who you want your executor to be or who you want to be the guardian of your pets or children or who you want your stuff to go to, we try to educate you on, you know, what is an executor? What does that role entail? Why do you need to add backups? What if you want to have a second person as your executor? All of those questions that naturally come up as you go through the process. And so uh, hopefully the experience that you have is feeling like, 
you know, you understand whether this is the right fit for you and you feel empowered and educated as you go through the platform uh, and you're not left with a million questions because it's already confusing enough to think about estate planning. So uh, hopefully you have the info at your fingertips to make you feel confident. Well, and I like the way you've just, uh, you've been so thoughtful about that because people, I mean, some people will worry that they'll get into this uh, and then they'll realize, oh, this wasn't for me and oh, I shouldn't have spent that money. But it sounds like you've been very, very thoughtful about making sure that as long as they're answering the questions honestly, uh, they're going to get to, you're really funneling them down to appropriate uh, uh call them clients, appropriate clients for your product. Um, and is, and they really are self-selecting down to their, uh, down to the, the appropriate medium for where they should, they should be. That's very thoughtful because those little pop-up questions gets people thinking a little more deeply about uh, what really is going on in their, in their estate. So for example, I, I came from a, a, a corporate uh, trustee background. And it's interesting that if, you know, you probably have a piece in there that says, here's what a corporate trustee is. Um, if you're thinking of doing that, there's a whole process that they're going to want to go through. And, you know, we can't offer that here. You're giving, you are educating people when, when you do that. So it sounds like, you know, they'll bump into something and then an answer will pop up. Do you have things like videos and, and, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, PDFs, things they can take away and think about and then come, do they log in and out and can do this over a period of time as they think, you know, how does that feel? Is it something they have to do in a certain period of time or? Yeah, no, I mean, the idea is that, I mean, we always say in our marketing materials that you can finish it in 20 minutes or less. And that is true, but we know in reality, that's only true if you've actually already had conversations with your spouse or executor or guardians that you'd like to appoint, um, you know, oftentimes people start going through the process and they, the roadblock isn't in our platform. The roadblock is in the fact that they haven't had conversations with those people uh, to make sure they're okay with them appointing them as a guardian or an executor. I mean, no one wants to be surprised you're appointed as the guardian of our kids and you had no idea. Um, so we always advise people have those conversations and people often just get paralyzed with those decisions a little bit too. I mean, we had friends uh, who were the perfect fit for Willful. And it took them a year to get their wills done, because, not because of our platform, but because they could not agree on who would be the guardian for their child. And we kept telling them, if you don't know that, the answer to that, how would your family know if you were both to pass away tomorrow? So you got to work through it and you have to put something in there because your family is going to go through the exact same arduous process that you're going through right now. And that's the whole point is that you're doing the work for them so that they feel confident in their decision, right? Um, so again, it, it, it saves your info as you go. You can come back at any time to actually finish it. Um, and yeah, there is a gap a lot of times between when people started. And, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to people that say, you know, wow, I, I didn't know what actually went into creating a will. And so now I need to take these things away and really just think about what's the right fit for me. And uh, maybe I'll come back and finish with Willful. And maybe this has just sparked those conversations and I end up finishing with a lawyer. Uh, and either way, I think it, it gets them thinking about stuff that they didn't even really know was a component of their will. But the other side of it, too, is I think there's a huge misconception about what you actually need to sit down to create your will. We often have people message us saying, 
hey, where do I enter all of my bank accounts? And where do I put my life insurance policy? So we also spend a lot of time educating people on what's actually required to sit down and write your will, what assets flow through your estate versus flowing to direct beneficiaries, how co-ownership of assets affects your will, uh, and the fact that you don't need to gather 97 statements and calculate your net worth to do your will. It's really more about assigning key roles and uh, and figuring out how you want things to be divided. Um, it's not actually, you know, gathering a hundred pieces of information. So we provide a checklist actually to people who just arrive at our website saying, you know, if you're thinking about doing your will with us or otherwise, here's a checklist that will actually help you understand what conversations you need to have, what pieces of information you need so that you're more equipped to actually sit down and complete it when the time comes. Well, and that's, uh, that's a, an amazing feature to have because that is really, um, the, I think that's at the, the core, at least in my experience, that's at the core of what this process is all about. It's, it's knowing what questions you need to ask, what the essential elements of what you're undertaking are. And as you described, the things that it really isn't like it's it's not having to accumulate a thousand different documents and make sure they're in alphabetical order or, or you know size of the account or you know however you want to order it. it that's really that is something that's helpful to the estate trustee but getting the document done actually is is maybe not even that complicated it's really understanding what's what you can do with the document, how, what those things are in the relevance to your own life, and what some of the considerations are that go into making those choices. And so it's it's interesting to hear that you help people uh, along with that. You mentioned that some um, people are, are reaching out to you all the time and, and talking about life moments, and that's what brought them to the point of wanting to do their wills. I think it'd be interesting to some of our listeners um, who aren't going to all be lawyers and accountants, uh, what, what some of those life moments are, what, what has brought some of them to, because it'll be no different for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, the biggest one is is having a child. I mean, as soon as you have a child, there is someone that is more important than you in the world. And just like you would get life insurance to be able to provide for them, a lot of people think about getting a will uh, or they interact with, with people, uh, other parents or professionals who tell them that they need to be thinking about a will at, at this moment in their life. So definitely expecting a new parents are the biggest kind of life moment that drives people to our site. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of what, what is it, Aaron, about that? I don't. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but Not what is all. it about that the arrival of a child? What is it like? Uh, there are as many people who will be listening to this who will go, "Well, how in the heck is that an estate planning moment? Uh, how is it? It is it's a critical one. How is it? Can you tell us what what why that's so? Yeah, I mean, for two key reasons. The first is to, you know, add that child as a beneficiary of your will, uh, so that, you know, a lot of people in their will will default to, okay, well, if I pass away, my spouse will get 100%. But there's this scenario of, well, what if my spouse and I pass away at the same time? And that's where they want to account for making sure that their child gets 100% of their assets. And you might think, well, that would happen anyways. But in each province, if you pass away without a will, or if you haven't added that second layer of what happens if my spouse and I both pass away, 
you're, you die what's called intestate and there are default rules and you know this better than anyone as to how your assets are distributed. And that wouldn't mean that they would get 100% of your assets because the rules stipulate, uh, you know, the first 200,000 might go to the, the child, but it might move down the list from there. So it's really just a way to ensure that everything that you own goes to your child in the event that both of you pass away at the same time. And then the other big reason is the appointment of a guardian. So if you and your spouse were both to pass away, who would actually look after the child? And that's really what gets parents. I would say that making sure my stuff goes to them is, is something for sure. But every parent I talk to says, oh my God, I don't want my mother-in-law to get guardianship of the child. Or, oh my God, that my delinquent brother-in-law, I know that he would apply and I don't want him to get the child. So I think it's thinking about who they don't want to take care of their kids that actually motivates them to, to come and create the will and to appoint the person they do want to take care of their kids in that role. Uh, so that's, you know, that tends to be the two biggest motivators, at least that we hear when it comes to, uh, when it comes to why parenthood becomes a big uh, reason, a catalyst for creating their will. I think you said something that's really interesting there. I hadn't really thought about it, but experientially over the, and I've been doing this for a long time. Most people that I've ever talked to at events and, and as clients in the past, they know very explicitly what they don't want. But when you actually ask them what they do want, they stare at you. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but I can tell you what I don't want. <laughs> and, well, and- it's kind of like when Kevin asked me what I want for dinner. I say, I don't know. And he'll name a million things and I won't want any of those. But if he asks me what I actually want, I'll have no clue. And it's very much the same <laughs> a lot of times with estate planning, right? Well, and, and, and a digital platform for appropriate estates is actually ideal for that because you, I would imagine you can click through and say, no, no, you know, there's a menu that's going to come up. No, I'm not interested in that. I understand that. I don't want that. And eventually you're left, you're, you're taking choices off the, the, the table that are false choices. And then eventually they're left with reasonable choices that are the things that they can do. And it's easier to decide at that point. You, 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 I mean, Sometimes having too much selection is worse than only being able to choose a couple of things because you end up being paralyzed with the uh, uh, with the, the the cornucopia of alternatives, and you end up doing nothing. Whereas with some, I would imagine your questioning process is a a, a great way for people to eliminate that that noise and get down to what's really important. Yeah, I mean, I think people are still a little bit paralyzed by choice when they think about all of this stuff. But, um, but yeah, hopefully we're helping to to guide them in their decisions and to tell them, you know, typically people are choosing a friend, a family member, a corporate executor, and here's what you might want to consider when you're evaluating it. Um, and there's, I mean. Some of the other life moments would be maybe obvious, you know, if I'm getting divorced, I definitely want to update my will because I don't necessarily want my ex to uh, get all my stuff. Uh, but there are some that, that have been surprising to even us. And a big one is travel, uh, which as of right now is not really something that anybody's doing. But uh, we got we have a lot of people who reach out to us and say, oh, my goodness, we're traveling without our kids for the first time. Um, or, you know, uh, parents who 
anybody who's going away at, for the first time or, or just realizes before they get on that plane that, holy crap, I have not planned for anything and I don't have my stuff in order. Uh, so travel tends to be actually a big catalyst because everyone getting onto a plane thinks, what happens if this plane were to crash tomorrow, which obviously 99.999% of the time doesn't happen, but it's definitely a catalyst for that. And um, so, yeah, so we have some obvious ones and then we have some where you think, oh, yeah, no, that is a that does make you think about it. But I would never have guessed that years ago when we were starting out. Um, it's interesting. You 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 mentioned intestacy. A lot of people have very I, I was watching with my daughters the other day, an American TV show where, where a character was uh, having to go do his will and he was being told to go do it because if he didn't do the will everything was going to go to the government. And that's that's not true. But as you described, the distribution is not what people want. And I've often thought one of the worst things, and so I'm here in Ontario, it's probably pretty similar everywhere else. One of the worst things that comes out of not having a, so, so, so a couple has a, a child or have, has young children and um, haven't done a will and a parent dies or the parents die one of the very worst things that can happen is that on the 18th birthday uh, of each child, whatever they inherited through the intestacy laws of the, uh, of the province where they live, they get that money. And I'm thinking, my gosh, is there anything more potentially catastrophic than an 18 year old inheriting two, $300,000. <laughs> and, and you said that one of the things that um, uh, willful uh, the, the the wills that, that your clients can um, uh, purchase through Willful can do is what's called a testamentary t uh, trust uh, to a certain point. Can you tell us about what that is? Because that's kind of a term of art. Yeah. So essentially, to your point, uh, I certainly would not have used two hundred thousand dollars responsibly when I was eighteen. So, and many others wouldn't either. Would have been a great party. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and you know, just I'll, I'll use a real life example. My uh, my aunt passed away uh, many years ago now, and my my dad was the executor and trustee for her will. And my cousin at the time was you know in his teen teenage years, and my aunt stipulated in her will that he wouldn't receive uh, his inheritance or shouldn't receive his inheritance until he was 25 uh, for exactly the reasons that you just described. So essentially when she passed away, uh, the money that was supposed to go to my cousin was put into a trust that was managed by my dad as the trustee. Uh, and again, he could use some of that money for things like tuition and rent and things that he deemed to be in line with what my aunt would have wanted. But if my my cousin had said, hey, I need $50,000 to throw an epic party in Cancun, he would have said, absolutely not. Um, and so at the age of 25, my my dad being the trustee, uh, released the uh, the money to him. And he, from what I understand, because I put the fear of God in him about wasting it, I think he's been responsible with it. So that's an example of what you can do with willful is you can essentially say, I don't want uh, my, my child to receive this until the age of X, Y, or Z. Uh, and then your executor and trustee would just hold that in trust and, uh, and make sure that they get it when the time comes. And so for... And those are pretty straightforward situations. And that, uh, I think that's really important uh, planning. Um, some parents have uh, children that maybe uh, have 
different needs. Maybe it's a lawyer's, we'll call it a spendthrift trust, you know, somebody who's not good with money. And so the trust needs to be a discretionary trust and there's specific discretions and powers given to the, uh, given to the trustee, or maybe it's a, uh, um, uh, someone who's receiving a, a government uh, disability benefit, and so there's some planning to protect their entitlement to that. Um, would that be kind of those kind those two scenarios, for example? Would that be beyond the? That's where a little flag would come up with, um, uh, or, or there would have been a questionnaire that said, you know, if you've got this kind of situation, you should probably be working with a lawyer. Or is the willful product um, robust enough to handle something like that? Yeah. So right now, it's definitely not. Um, yeah. And you know, I think we're working on building out more education around the different types of trusts and. Uh, really just equipping people with more of that in-depth information. In the in the U.S., our counterpart is called Trust and Will, and we've partnered with them to kind of send people each other's way. And they do allow you to to create some of those more complex types of trust. So it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we may create those at some point. Right now, we just handle the very simple testamentary trust. Um, and so, again, if you, you know, one of the situations that we advise before you sign up is that you if you do need any sort of complex trust, including a Henson Trust for a dependent with a disability, those would absolutely be the types of things that you would want to work with a lawyer on. And and a blended family has unique uh, features as well, because if you're trying to create, say, a spousal trust, which has both a tax component as well as a protective feature, uh, intergenerational protective feature, that's that's probably one of those categories as well where that's a flag's going to come up and maybe you talk to a lawyer about that. Yes, blended families are a fun one. I come from, both my husband and I are part of very blended families with lots of nuance. So, uh, you know, I think there's different degrees of blended families. Uh, you know, there are some where, you know, there's a kid at each from a previous relationship and or just, a, you know, a child together and um, it tends to be pretty simple, but then there are the ones where the, we kind of advise that when there are lots of if this, then that scenarios, that's when you have to visit a lawyer. We're, we're for the very simple, straightforward wishes. Whereas if you want to say, you know, if, you know, you pass away, then you, you know, if I pass away, you can live in the house until you pass away. And then the house passes to my child. Those are the types of triggered or um, if this, then that scenarios that you'd have to visit a lawyer to handle. So yes, we definitely talk about those types of uh, scenarios. And, uh, and, and again, we also have a big flag for people who are separated, but not divorced, because you know, in the eyes of the law, you, there's still a lot of spousal rights that exist there. And I'm sure you can speak to that in a more nuanced way than me. But uh, that's our, our biggest flag is if you're separated, but not divorced, you need to talk to your family lawyer, you need to talk to an estate lawyer, and you need to make sure that, um, that that's addressed. And, and we're just not uh, equipped to handle that. Well, and, and, and I think that's important. People have to remember that, uh, planning in the state is dealing with property and 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 if you're dealing with property there are all kinds of other areas of the law that that have something to say about that and and um it, it at least at least today it's it's so nuanced that it's very hard to imagine that uh, that it would be a reasonable expectation of anyone jumping onto your platform 
uh, to, to expect that that's the kind of situation that your product could help them out with. So, you know, they have to have reasonable expect clients should have reasonable expectations about, about what's possible there. But, but what they have to remember, I suppose, is not to just plow ahead and, and, uh, well, you know, hopefully that'll go away. <laughs> you know, if the reason you're asking those questions and making those recommendations is because they're important questions to answer truthfully. And they are important recommendations if, and, and, and people should not diminish those, uh, in any way. I, I, I'd, I think that is helpful because it helps give the listeners some idea of what some of the scenarios are where, um, uh, where you you probably should go to a lawyer, and that's good to manage expectations as well. You offer POAs or powers of attorney, or they have a variety of different names in different provinces and other jurisdictions. Um, how does how does planning for a, a POA integrate with uh, doing your will? I think it's something you should you should do them together There's, unless you've got one already and not the other, you should do them together and you should consider them together. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. Again, I, I don't think that I even knew what a power of attorney was maybe 10 years ago. Um, and so uh, now I'm a big advocate for the importance of it because, you know, often uh, one of the biggest questions I get is, especially when I'm talking to groups that are a little bit younger is when do I need to start thinking about a will? And to your point, you said it best when you have loved ones that depend on you, uh, that's that's when you need to have a, a will. But a power of attorney should be part of your planning when you're over the age of majority in your province, which in Ontario is 18. Uh, because, you know, accidents can happen anytime, unfortunately. And a power of attorney is designed so that if you were in a car accident or if there was some reason that you weren't able to communicate, it gives someone the power to make medical and financial decisions on your behalf. And that ranges from paying your mortgage to applying for benefits on your behalf to telling the doctor whether you might want to stay on life support or not. And again, it's this idea of giving you a voice when you're no longer able to speak. And I think there's confusion too, because people think the documents exist at the same time. And the, the, the fact is a power of attorney is while you're still alive, but just unable to communicate, a will adheres to what happens when you pass away. So these documents come into effect at different times, but are really important to have in conjunction with each other to make sure that your voice is heard. And so to your point, I mean, we uh, we encourage everyone to, to get their POAs at the same time that they get their will, just because if you don't have one, you should get one. Um, but there are also a lot of weighty topics that people have to think about. I mean, it gets really uh, dark really quickly when you're asked, you know, would you want to stay on life support and what type of pain relief would you want? And these are big questions and they're definitely uncomfortable to think about if you're 22 years old. So uh, I think the power of attorney can often, even though it's, a, you know, often simpler to complete and that there's less questions and things to, to, to put down, it's more complex in terms of the, the thought process because you're considering all of these uncomfortable things. Death, we know, is an inevitability. And as much as we're uncomfortable about it, we know that it's a matter of when, not if. Whereas the power of attorney is adhering to, you know, power, powers of attorney to me are more like car insurance. You hope that you don't get in an accident and that you don't have to have that insurance come into effect. And that's like a power of attorney. You hope that you maintain your faculties until the day that you pass away naturally in your sleep when you're 85 and you're sharp as a tack still. But unfortunately, that's not the reality. And so I think powers of attorney can be a little bit more uncomfortable just because they they pertain to situations that we hope never come to fruition. 
Well, and and there are decisions. So the power of attorney for personal care is the here in Ontario is is the uh, is often called a living will. It's, there's different terminology people use for that, but that, as you mentioned, that's giving the power to, over someone to make those life and death decisions or consent to treatment or non-consent to treatment. That doesn't have to be the same person as your power of attorney for property. Uh, you may have very different considerations going into those kinds of uh, those kinds of appointments. For sure, and and that's the thing. I mean. I think the thing to remember when you're appointing an executor for your will, the person that's actually going to wrap up your estate, or whether you're appointing a power of attorney, you don't just want to pick somebody that you love and trust because there is a lot of administrative and organizational work and often skilled financial planning that goes into uh, being a power of attorney for property and being an executor. And so uh, yeah, power of attorney for personal care, maybe that is your spouse because you know that they would reflect your wishes, but maybe your power of attorney for property is your uncle who's a wealth advisor and who you know is going to be able to invest money on your behalf. and Or maybe it's a realtor friend of yours because you know that they'd be able to sell your home and be educated on that. I mean, ultimately, you do want it to be someone whom you trust and who uh, will, you know, implicitly, you know, will will have your best interest in mind. But, uh, but it doesn't have to be someone one that um, that is uneducated on those things. In fact, it should be somebody that that would have the organizational and skills capacity to do that. Um, and and does your and and I think that the beauty of what you just said is that you have to think about all of these documents as part of uh, a consistent approach to the management of your wealth and the management of your loved ones and your responsibilities. They, as much as they're standalone documents, they are not standalone experiences. They, they're part of a continuity of planning. And, and so if you're doing a will, you should be thinking at the same time about your power of attorney for property and how that fits. Uh, as you mentioned, you know you may have a you may have a car accident and and you survive, but you're not, you, you're incompetent to make decisions on your own. You may or may not survive, but it's possible that that will become your you, at some point your will will kick in. A will, of course, speaks from the moment you die. There there are reasons why you think about who you appoint and what they can do for your power of attorney for property that should be considered in the context of who will become my executor and what decisions will they have to make. Um, similarly, power of attorney for personal care should fit in there as well, and they should be, as you've mentioned, they don't have to be the same people, but you should think about the people you're putting together that have to make decisions as well. And um, so I think, you know, the, the fact that your platform is, fo is not forcing, that's not the word, but it's encouraging, and, and as a result, forcing people to, to consider and talk and communicate about these topics ends up resulting in better choices and better solutions at the end of the day. They're having these conferences. If it takes them a year to do it, they still end up with a better document than nothing. Um, and, and, and your product has promoted those conversations for them. Um, so the question this week that we were dealing with is, you know, what if I need a will, and, but I have a limited budget? And I, I framed the question that way, Aaron. Because, because I think we're on the same wavelength about these documents. 
because budget concerns, while relevant, are not the reason someone should have or not have a will. It's certainly relevant. It should never be a barrier. Just to, to highlight, and, and, and we're drawing close to our, our time here, but what are, what are some of the other things that they can do with a willful will uh, that are just so important to consider? We talked about guardianship. We talked about appointing the trustee. We talked about uh, having a testamentary trust. What are some other things, just off the top of your head, that you can do with a will that makes it so very important that people ought not to, to be worrying about budgetary concerns, which is why it makes it so important that they, they do this with you, if it's appropriate to do this with you? Yeah, I mean, I think essentially, uh, at, at its core, as you've mentioned earlier, the will is really just about making sure that you appoint people who are going to follow your wishes and, and represent you uh, when wrapping up your estate and, and that the people you want will be in those roles uh, and that your stuff goes to the right people. I mean, for me, honestly, part of my will is just my clothes going to my sister because I know that she would kill me if I wasn't passed away already in this scenario uh, if I didn't pass those things on to her. So, you know, I think we often think of uh, creating a will as something that you only do when you're rich or when you acquire a large asset. But for me, assets are things like, you know, my clothes and my recipe books and uh, you know, my guitar and things that might not have a huge amount of monetary value, but that have a huge amount of sentimental value. So I think one of the things that we haven't talked about is, you know, we talked about how you can divide up your estate. You know, I want 100% of it to go to my child, but you can also leave specific gifts. And uh, for me, I've done that a lot in my will. You know, I have given instruments and pieces of jewelry and pieces of art and clothes and things that, again, to an outside observer probably wouldn't be worth a ton of money, but are meaningful to me to know that they'll go to the people that I want them to. Uh, and another thing that you can do on Willful that we're actually very passionate about is influencing gifts to charity. Uh, you know, as a a non-billionaire who is, you know, really time. trying to do yeah, good, to do good things in the world. You know, it can be hard to open up your wallet and to donate to causes that you care about. And especially during COVID, it can also be difficult to actually volunteer with organizations. So to me, leaving a bequest, a gift to a charity in your will, whether that's a cash amount or a percentage of, of your estate, is just such a, a, a way to have a positive legacy and to know that something good will come from your passing. So uh, that's that's something that we really try to promote and highlight on Willful. And, and again, something I didn't even know that you could do probably 10 years ago, right? I just assumed that you were giving your stuff to people and didn't realize that uh, that charities and, and organizations were a great way to direct your wealth after you pass away. And um, so those are a couple of the things. And then pets, I mentioned, I mean, I talk to a lot of groups of 25-year-olds who do not have children. But it, when we talk about people that rely on you, pets are actually... Uh, very reliant on you. And one of the top reasons they end up in shelters is because their owners haven't planned for what would happen to them if they passed away. So uh, we, you know, make you think about that, even if you don't choose to assign somebody to take care of them. Uh, and then we also allow you to, to give a, a gift to the, or not a gift, but an, an amount of money to the person who might be taking care of a pet because pets cost money. Not everyone is like my mom and has horses, but even if you have a cat, it's still going to add a cost to that person's life. So those are a few of the other things that we kind of guide you through. And then we also do uh, ask you about your funeral and burial wishes, because while that might not be a legally binding component of the will, if it's in there, your family is likely to follow it. And it's also, again, a way 
way for you to record that so that if you never do have the conversation with your family, at least they have something down on paper. So it is an optional part of the platform, but one that we really encourage people to include for exactly that reason. A lot of what you've just described, and, and I, I, I still get people reaching out on LinkedIn and on other social media. What do they do about their fur babies? Uh, and, and and it's amazing uh, to me. It 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 uh, uh, it's those things that we really we we, we really uh, attach to that that can push us into the push us into the planning mold. And then there's other cleaning up things that we have to do sometimes. So I, can you do things, um, you know, maybe somebody has a life insurance policy and they want, uh, when they took out the policy 20 years ago, they wanted the money to go to their spouse because uh, uh, it was really intended just to pay off some debts. But now they've accumulated some wealth and they want to leave it to a charity. Um, is your product able to handle changes in beneficiary designations to things like RSPs, RIFs, uh, 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 life insurance policies? As of now, no. Uh, our best recommendation to people is always just to call those those institutions okay. directly and just to check on those. And again, those are things that there are certain things that I don't know that we'll ever build out in Willful just because it's, you know, either it affects such a small percentage of the population or it's just extremely complex and needs to be done uh, by a lawyer. Uh, but then there are other things that I think are quite easy for us to build into the platform. It's just as a as a small company with a limited engineering uh, resource, it's it's difficult to actually add in. So that may be something that we add in the future. But for now, you know, we try to do a lot of ed- education around uh, will substitutes. You know, ways that you can pass assets on to people that do not include putting them in your will. And and try we really try to encourage people when they're making their will with Willful. You should also be reviewing everything else that you hold and how it's owned. And a great example of that is, you know, before Willful, I actually didn't understand how property, you know, holding something jointly with someone meant that it just passed to that person if you had joints of rights of survivorship. So uh, we actually bought a pre-construction condo in 2014 and we just took possession of it last week. So if you're thinking about a pre-construction condo, be okay with the fact that it might take six years. Uh, and when I purchased it, I purchased it with just my name on title. And because of what I've learned through through Willful, I know that you know if I'm the only person on title and I pass away, that, that asset's going to pass through my estate and Kevin is going to be forced to pay capital gains on it. And so we actually amended the title of that property to reflect that it would be owned jointly with rights of survivorship so that if I passed away, uh, it would flow directly to, to Kevin as the the other owner on the property. There wouldn't be taxes. It wouldn't flow through my estate. Um, and that's something that we really encourage people is, you know, the will is one thing, but looking at how your assets are owned and where you have named beneficiary designations, that's something that you might want to work with your financial planner on or uh, just do a little bit of work yourself on understanding so that you are very aware of what will pass through your estate and what won't. And you're so right. Knowing the relevance of different forms of ownership and the consequences uh, when someone passes away. I mean, there are probate consequences. There are income tax consequences because of the deemed disposition. And then there's just straight out continuity between generations consequences. You mentioned your, your recipe book. Um, I When I'm teaching my students, I, I very frequently remind them that 
of their social media. Uh, there, there was a, it's a pretty good movie. I didn't read the book. I'm going to admit, but it's called uh, Julie, Julia and Juliet. I think it was called. And uh, basically a, a woman uh, uh, wrote a book about how she cooked her way through Julia Child's cookbook, one recipe a day, every day for a year. Um, and it was a blog. And that blog eventually became a book, which eventually became a major Hollywood motion picture and ultimately made a ton of money. And so there's a lot of people in my generation who will say, well, Facebook, who cares what happens to your Facebook account when you die? But that blog, you know, as as part of the world of social media would have had tremendous value uh, potentially uh, in an estate. It would have been a potentially valuable estate asset. Does willful have a mechanism to help people think about their digital assets? It's a great question. So today I would say no, um, you know, other than encouraging people to think about things like cryptocurrency or things like that, leaving them as specific gifts. But it brings up such a great point that there is this intangible value in a lot of things that we don't think about. I mean, I even had someone ask me the other day how they would be able to pass their DNA strand onto their children if they ever wanted to sequence it. I mean, I've been asked about the most random things that people want to pass on as specific gifts. I'm sure you have too in your career. Uh, But we, you know, it's not just things of value. And even, I mean, this, this is kind of an odd example, but there was a a woman in BC that was going to court to try to get access to reproduce with her husband who had passed away. And he had saved material that she wasn't able to get access to because it wasn't actually left to her in the will. And it was his property. And it really just brings up that idea of, you know, what actually has value in your life. And it's not just the contents of your savings account. And that's why when when 23-year-olds say, well, I don't have pets or children and I have $4 in my savings account and I don't have a house, I say, yeah, but you have intangible value in all of these assets, like your social media profiles or uh, a blog or whatever, or your genetic material that maybe you would want to, to consider what the ownership of that would be. And and that's something that I think our goal is to, to be able to accommodate for that, not just to say what you would want to happen to those accounts, but maybe even to have things like last posts that you would want to go up or, uh, you know, just little things like that, that would uh, make sure that your digital legacy is as well thought out as your offline legacy. There used to be a service in the U.S. I don't know if it's still available. And I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top of my head. But basically, it was it was a you said last post. It was your last shot you could take and it would send out an email to anybody you wanted to get the last word in on. <laughs> but So as soon as you passed away, the executor could access this account. It would fire off presumably some nice and some nasty comments to whoever you want <laughs> at that time. And of course, you know, they can respond, but you'll never know. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's not on the roadmap right now, Chris, but no, you know what? No. I might have to sneak it in there. Hard to monetize that. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure that's a good uh, uh, business uh, uh, business product. So, so um, what's next for Willful? You've you've got this uh, uh, great business model going. You're you. It sounds really really exciting. Two years from now, three years from now, where are you going to be? Great question. I mean, I think for me personally, so I am in the process of uh, undertaking all of my courses to become a certified estate planning professional. Uh, So I'm, you know, again, journalism grad Erin would never have thought that I'd be undertaking all of these courses to be, you know, a certified 
estate planning professional, but I think it's important that not only do I have the the marketing and communication side of it, but that I you know can can talk the talk and walk the walk when it comes to estate planning. So uh, we have a great team of legal advisors in each province, and so this is really I think just adding to our in house uh, knowledge base. Uh, so I think that's the first thing is really just building up our, our own internal knowledge base and then communicating that into exactly what you were talking about earlier, tutorials, videos, and more educational content for the average Canadian that just helps them understand a lot of these complex issues uh, in a really easy way. Uh, And then I think, you know, my goal for the company, Chris, is that we are the first household brand for preparing for and dealing with death in a digital age. You know, that we not only help you create your legal documents, but we help you record uh, your wishes and pass those on to the family members who need them. And then we equip your family to actually close up your life in a much easier way and to help them navigate through that process. So what that will actually look like, uh, you know, we're still in the middle of figuring out. But I think that's the ultimate mission for the company is not only make sure that every Canadian has put a plan in place, but just to make it easier to to go through that process and, and to make it easier for the families like Kevin who were wrapping up someone's life and and facing those challenges along the way to make it easier for those people to actually do that. Which provinces are you in right now? So we're in seven out of 10 provinces. We're just not in Quebec, which, as you know, has a different legal system and a different language. So there's a double whammy there of of challenge, Uh, although we are actually just closing a funding round from a Montreal-based investor. So we hope that that will actually help to expedite our launch in that province. Uh, And then we're just working on Newfoundland and PEI, which are the only two, the other two that we're not in. Okay. Um, and Aaron, if clients, uh, or, or and clients, sorry, listeners, people listening to this podcast want to, uh, find out more about Willful and, uh, the products that you offer and how to get access to the service, what should they do? Yeah. So again, I mean, our goal is to make sure that you get your your documents in place, whether that's with us or otherwise. We have a learn center, uh, willful.co uh, slash learn, where you can just learn a little bit more about, you know, what makes a will legally valid? What are the different ways that I can do it? Uh, what should I be considering? And what are these important roles? So I think that's a good place to start. Uh, and as I mentioned, there's also a checklist on our site that can kind of help you with some of the things you might want to discuss with loved ones. Um, and then we'll also, you know, be the first to tell you if your situation is is maybe better for uh, a lawyer than us, and we can at least point you in the right direction based on your situation. So, um, so yeah, I encourage the people to check out our website, and uh, and we're willful wills on pretty much any social media platform. So while you might not want to follow an estate planning platform, you might think that's depressing, but our, our marketing coordinator tries to make it as fun as possible Erin Burry for her time and for sharing her wisdom this week you can check out Erin's profile and information about Willful on the show notes for this podcast. Next week, I'm excited to interview Laura Tamblin-Watts. Laura is a leading advocate for seniors and elder Canadians through her new enterprise, CanAge. She'll be discussing important considerations if you have clients or older family members, the many issues associated with aging, and planning for incapacity with powers of attorney for personal care and property. She'll also give some advice on how to get started when you are asked to be a power of attorney. 
So please join us next week for another fun and lively episode of Inception Family Wealth Hour podcast.